Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel here. Uh, it is a Monday morning, February 6th. Be prepared for some rain here in Southern California. Or excuse me, high winds here in Southern California. High winds have already toppled trees in Hollywood and Santa Monica. 30 to 50 mile per hour gusts expected this afternoon. And the death toll in that Turkey and Syria earthquake. And by the minute, it is increasing. It is now 2,300 uh, people. And I guarantee you, in the next 15 minutes, you'll see several hundred more as uh, entire se- segments of um, Turkey just devastated. You could see, it's just horrific. As you see video of these buildings, uh, they look like they're imploded. You've seen those videos before when they're taking down a building and the explosion happens and down it goes, except there were people inside them. The uh, balloon incident is uh, getting really interesting. And, of course, that's what we've heard of. This covered all over the world. That Chinese balloon, or some kind of weather, uh, some kind of civilian balloon, as the Chinese are saying, is uh, flies over the United States, leaves China, and goes across the Aleutian Islands, goes across the Pacific, the Aleutian Islands, uh, goes into Canada for two minutes, and then comes down, Billings, Montana, and just moves uh, south, uh, east until it, uh, off, off, uh, the Carolina coast, it shot down. And the Chinese are saying it is a private company and it is some kind, uh, of a private uh, weather issue, uh, that they're looking, I mean, they're just really being cagey about it. And, uh, everybody knows it's basically a, uh, a spy balloon. Uh, with uh, the spy package underneath it, the size of three buses, we're being told. I don't know of any weather balloon that has a three-bus size package underneath it. And it was shot down. And the Chinese, at first, oh, boy, they've changed their tune. At first, we're investigating. Uh, please don't jump to conclusions. We're going to figure out what actually happened. Then... It is a some kind of a weather balloon, some kind of a research uh, balloon uh, that went off course. We really didn't know what happened. The winds came and picked it up. Although, you know, winds don't usually go in that direction because these balloons can uh, actually uh, be controlled where they go. And now it's how dare you, the United States, shoot this down. And we are going to react, or we're saving uh, our reaction for a later time. And you're in violation, this is to the United States, you're in violation of um, 
uh, international practice, not international law. International law is pretty clear. A country owns its airspace up to the stratosphere, which is why no problem shooting down uh, any airplane, any balloon that comes over uh, airspace. Now, that's a little bit more complicated because uh, it's every country is a, uh, a, has a, a different view, a different definition of where airspace is. Some are as low as 30,000 feet, but the general consensus is you go up as far as you go. If we go back in history, I don't know if you remember the U-2 spy plane that went over the Soviet Union. And uh, that was shot down over the Soviet Union in the 50s, uh, and it was Dwight Eisenhower that sent it over there. And uh, we didn't know that they had the missiles. Down it went. Uh, Francis Gary Powers was the pilot. He was a civilian pilot, CIA, they think. And uh, he ended up crashing, parachuting down, became, was a prisoner for 18 months and came to the United States. <laughs> Incidentally, just a, a quick sidebar story is he ended up as a traffic helicopter pilot here in Southern California. And he ended up dying. He had 200 hours in the air and down he went. And that's, uh, he gets shot down over the Soviet Union. A missile hits him and he dies in a helicopter uh, crash here in Southern California. So the uh, point of uh, this story is, what is going to happen? Well, Blinken, Secretary of State, was on his way to China. That's been postponed or canceled. And the Chinese are doubling down. They're just not uh, admitting anything. And the politics, of course, are extraordinary. Uh, Republicans are uh, attacking uh, President Biden because he waited until uh, the balloon was off the South Carolina coast. Uh, he could have shot it down any time. He listened to the Pentagon. That's what he says, that the Pentagon gave him the advice to shoot it down over the water. And uh, there's another reason uh, I've been told or we've been reading is that we have a better chance of pulling out intelligence uh, that the machinery itself, the components, are probably going to survive a lot better than if they hit the ground where they would explode. And uh, I'll tell you what I don't believe, didn't believe, is uh, that since the debris field is seven miles long, they thought that shooting down the balloon over land would risk uh, people and or property. You know how much open land there is outside in Montana, outside of Billings? What do you think? It's a sprawl out there? It's like from here to San Diego where there isn't one inch of open space? This is Montana. And so that doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is waiting for the balloon to go over water. And then the argument is, how much surveillance did the balloon was the balloon able to gather? Because, uh, well, we think we're being it's a lot of this is sketchy information that this is very sophisticated, very high end equipment that the Chinese have. And it overflew sensitive areas, uh, security areas in the United States, uh, nuclear facilities, weapons facilities. So there, there's a lot to this. There really is. And we're getting stories. Congress has not yet been briefed. They don't know what's going on. So we're going to find out more probably this week. As soon as Congress, Congress is briefed, we'll get some stories out. So. The question is, why a balloon? 
They have satellites that go overhead and can take extraordinarily close pictures. You see, they can actually get a uh, license plate off of a satellite. I mean, just, uh, well, uh, that's the technology today. So why balloons? And they have uh, uh, aircraft that can go in insane, uh, insane heights. Well, uh, a couple of reasons for balloons. First of all, they are cheap. And I mean cheap. Uh, there is a whole section of Party City that does nothing but sell balloons to the Chinese. It's a matter of thousands of dollars relative to millions of dollars. Although you think that the uh, spy package would be several billion dollars, but nothing like satellites. And technically speaking, satellites uh, go overhead and they can only gather information at a very small area. Now, we have geosynchronous satellites, and uh, they stay in one area over the Earth, but they're 22,000 miles in the sky because uh, they they orbit the Earth at exactly the same speed as the Earth spins around. So it looks like they're in one place, and they are relative to the Earth. Well, the low-level satellites that uh, take pictures that have uh, those uh, spy elements to them, and the security, uh, military, uh, also weather satellites. Uh, so there are also uh, satellites that uh, show us uh, how much, uh, for example, rainforest is being decimated. All of that information, those are low-level satellites, and they're spinning around the Earth every 90 minutes. So they're only overhead for just a few seconds. So... There is uh, definitely some negative aspects of spy satellites, not balloons. Balloons are very slow. Balloons are now controlled. They can stay up in the air for, well, look at this Chinese balloon. It went up there for, what, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks before it was shot shot down uh, off the uh, North Carolina coast. Also, uh, with deflective paint, uh, they can actually be hard to spot on radar. They can go really high, but they're low enough that the pictures they take are very, very clear. Also, here's what satellites cannot do. Satellites cannot pick up cell phone transmission. Satellites cannot pick up microwave transmissions. And these balloons can. So the... Use of balloons, even though it's fairly old technology, I mean, it's been around for a very long time, make a lot of sense. Except, you know, when we see them and we don't shoot them down and that, let me give you a, uh, just a quick scenario. Let's say we sent a balloon over China. What do you think the Chinese would do? They'd go out of their minds. In the meantime, with the Chinese balloon over the United States gathering information, there's no issue as a spy uh, balloon. I mean, there's just no issue. Uh, they're doubling down. Remember what they first said. We really don't know what it is. We're investigating what this balloon is about. Uh, so we shouldn't uh, rush to judgment. Let's all investigate this. Then they admitted it was a Chinese balloon. And they're saying it was blown off course. Didn't admit it was a spy satellite. It is a 
it's a it's a satellite that was put up by private business. It's scientific research, not governmental. They're sticking to that, although now they're not saying it was blown off course. Now they're simply saying that the shooting down of that uh, balloon off the South Carolina, North Carolina coast is effectively an act of war. It, it's an attack on a sovereign device over the United States, and it's like shooting down aircraft. It's like shooting down a, gi- uh, a Chinese plane, which, of course, it's not because it was over uh, our sovereign territory. It was over our airspace, and they're ignoring that. And the statement that I think is very telling on this one is what they said uh, about how we violated international practice, not international law, international practice, which I don't quite understand how a country does not bring down either aircraft or, in this case, a balloon that's overflying its airspace. As I said in the last segment, uh, it depends on the country, but the airspace is from the ground up to the stratosphere. Space is international. By treaty, space belongs to no one. In other words, uh, you have airspace that goes straight up. It stops at the stratosphere. And everybody's agreed to that. But short of that, uh, this is American airspace that was uh, uh, incurred by uh, this uh, balloon. So the politics of it are going to get crazy. Uh, We'll hear if President Biden tomorrow night is going to talk about it. My guess is yet. He's getting a lot of flack because he waited until the balloon uh, went across the United States because they they actually were able to see it on, uh, just as it entered from Canada, they were able to see it because we, of course, have all kind of um, radar that uh, sees, uh, you know, NORAD, I think, is one of them that can see anything enter the United States airspace. And so Biden is getting tremendous flack because he waited even though he says, I listened to what the Pentagon said and the Republicans are just nailing him for it. Of course, if he did not listen to what the Pentagon said, which is what the Republicans are saying he should have done, ignored the Pentagon and something happened where property was damaged or God forbid someone was hurt. Remember the debris field is seven miles long. So he can't win. It's not, it's not easy, and we'll see uh, what happens with our relationship with China. Uh, we're, the reports now are we're at a real impasse. This is pretty dangerous stuff. I mean, the Cold War with China just got a lot colder. Uh, let's go to our water shortage. I've been doing a lot of stories about the fact that uh, we've got a big problem. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a, a meeting of uh, six out of the seven states to decide how to uh, carve up the water usage from the Colorado River, couldn't come to an agreement. California didn't even go to the meeting. And uh, so the feds are going to come in and they're going to make the determination unless there's a meeting, uh, unless there is some kind of agreement. So even though the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada is the deepest it's been in decades, we've had a very wet winter. I will tell you, what the scientists are saying, it really doesn't matter in the long term. It's not going to make much of a dent in the long-term water shortage for the Colorado River Basin. 
which 40 million people get their water from. And it is an essential huge percentage of the water that we use here in Southern California. And the recent storms haven't changed. Not with the Southern California water managers. Uh, They're looking at this and are saying, don't expect lakes, uh, Mead and Powell, the largest reservoirs in the United States, to fill up again anytime soon. I don't know if you've been to Lake Powell or Lake Mead, Mead being uh, where the Hoover Dam is, but did you ever see Planet of the Apes where the spaceship lands in uh, that river or in that lake? And out comes Charlton Heston and discovers all the chimpanzees that talk and uh, the gorillas that talk. Well, just if you can go to Facebook and uh, or just Google what that photo was or what the video is of the beginning of that movie and then look at a photo today, you will see that the water line, you know, those rings around uh, these lakes up on the, on, on the hills around them, has dropped hundreds of feet. There is no water. Now, it filled uh, Lake Mead, Arizona-Nevada border, held back by the Hoover Dam, filled up in the 1980s and the 1990s. And in the year 2000, it was nearly full. It was actually lapping at the spillway gates where if water comes in too quickly, the water goes out these spillways so the dam doesn't overflow. And uh, here's the problem. Lake Powell, as uh, I told you, is declined to 23% of full capacity. That's the picture I'm talking about. Approaching a point where Glen Canyon Dam is no longer even going to be able to generate power. This is the mega drought I'm talking about over the last 23 years, the most severe in centuries. They're saying the most severe in 1,200 years. And it has worsened the water deficit. Lake Mead is 70% empty. I mean, it is crazy. So the water managers are saying we need to plan for low reservoir levels for years to come, years. Uh, later on, I'm uh, going to do a, a story. Well, matter of fact, uh, ne- uh, next uh, segment, I'm going to do a story on what, what Las Vegas is doing because uh, they get no water, and you're going to be pretty impressed with Las Vegas. So the uh, water managers are saying uh, that uh, these dams are simply not going to refill. Now, we know it's because of uh, the mega drought. But there's another big reason that nobody talks about. And the reason is that when the lakes filled up, when we had full or almost full levels of water, it's the number of people who use the water. That has doubled, that has quadrupled. I mean, it used to be that relatively relatively few people actually use the water. Look at the population, how it has increased, how it has exploded. As a matter of fact, the amount of water that is being used by uh, the inhabitants of Southern California and Nevada has dropped dramatically and sometimes uh, 50%. But it doesn't matter. You combine the drought and combine it with water usage— Matter of fact, uh, Arizona, for example, uh, that takes uh, a, well, it doesn't take a lot. It takes relatively little percentage. California takes it all. 
It didn't start taking its full apportionment of the river water until the late 1990s. Nevada, not until the early 2000s. So the amount of water that was used was below that was needed. I mean, they people are the states apportion water, and it used to be until uh, the late '90s and 2000s that any of the states even used the water they were apportioned. Of course, that's gone now. Uh, every drop of water that is going down the river and the apportionment of water to the states and the areas is uh, used and. Uh, Virtually every recipient of Colorado uh, River Water, every municipal organization, uh, uh, municipal water district, the states themselves, which control a lot of it, uh, they're up to their need, up to their eyeballs. And so it's a combination of the higher temperatures. Well, let me give you another stat. Scientists, and these are studies, by the way, have estimated by the middle of this century, by 2050, the average flow of the river is going to decline 30 to 40% below the average in the past century. And for every degree Celsius that increases, that's 1.8 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, the amount of river water decreases by 9%. I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. And, of course, I don't hear anybody talking about how climate change really isn't there, really isn't affecting us. And so what do we do with it? The drought isn't going to change. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What we can do is use the water uh, more uh, smartly, which we're not doing, except Las Vegas is. Uh Recycle water. I mean, there are ways that science and usage actually can make the water supply reasonable. Because right now, it's really moving towards unreasonable. Well, uh, 2050 is what? Only 30 years from now? 27 years from now? It goes quickly. For example, it's already February 6th, and January 1st was just uh, yesterday, wasn't it? So before you know it, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and it's 2050. Guess which city, and I'm talking about a city that the entire country is looking at that has done absolutely the best job of dealing with the water shortage. Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, Las Vegas is pretty dry to begin with. And it used to be there was plenty of water because uh, Nevada didn't even use its allotment of uh, the Colorado River water that it was allowed under treaty, under agreements that were made with the uh, other six states. Well, that's changed. It's now using all of its allotment as well as all the other states. And so what have they done? They've become the poster child of water preservation and how in the future we are going to deal with this water shortage. Las Vegas has actually been factoring climate change in its water plans for years. 
Now, if you go to Las Vegas itself, you go down the Strip, look at all those fountains. You wonder, my God, uh, there's so much water. You go to the Bellagio, uh, you go to any of the major hotels that have these fountains. I mean, that they're wasting water like crazy. Actually, they're not. First of all, all that water is recycled. Now, they do lose a lot of water, uh, but nothing compared to what is going on in the rest of Las Vegas. Again, it's recycled. Uh, Same thing with golf courses, and there are tons of those. But eliminate the lawns in Las Vegas. Did you know that Las Vegas had a ton of lawns? Right now, uh, you go out there, and it's uh, desert landscaping. You know, the cactus or cacti or cactuses, uh, whatever the plural is, uh, are in front of everybody's uh, house where it used to be lawns. Same thing with median strips. You don't see grass anymore. Well, that's been going on for years. Uh, Lake Mead uh, has been nearly full in the early 2000s. I told you about that. And then the extreme drought hit and the uh, lake, the level of the lake has dropped ridiculously low. And I'm going to tell you what uh, Arizona and Nevada did. So in 2002, the reservoir started uh, dropping the level. So the Southern California and Nevada Water Authority uh, used more of its allocation, as I said. And right there, they said, okay, we have to pivot towards conservation. This is 2002, 20 years ago, before anybody else. And here's what they did. They gave cash rebates to help customers rip out lawns and put in those desert plants I was telling about. In uh, 2003... Uh, only one year later, the uh, consumption of Colorado River shrank more than 16% in one year. In 2004, the next year, front yard lawns were simply prohibited from new subdivisions. Golf courses were given water budgets. And since 2002, uh, Southern Nevada, and that's basically Las Vegas, Uh, Southern Nevada's use of the Colorado River water has decreased about 26%. And I think the population has at least doubled since 2002. So you have twice as many people using water, and the amount of water they've used has dropped 26%. Per capita water use, 48%. And Las Vegas is still going crazy. So now we go to a couple of years ago, uh, uh, 2021, there was a law that bans watering of all decorative non-functional grass along streets, medians, homeowner associations. You know how um, uh, if you live in an HOA and you have common ground, it's all grass and trees. All of that's gone. Uh, Apartment uh, complexes, they have to tear it all out and put in the uh, desert plants. And since 2002... Homeowners in Las Vegas have removed uh, about 205 million square feet of lawn. It's 4,700 acres. I mean, that's a county. And the other thing they've done, for the common grounds, they've mandated drip-irrigated plants and trees. And that uses about a quarter of the amount of water. That saves another another 11 billion uh, gallons per year. And these are little water lines that drip water uh, onto the plants and the trees and the shrubs. 
And that's for the plants and trees and shrubs that are still there. You're going to see those gone in the next, uh, well, in the next four years, for example, more grass is going to be ripped out. Uh, Newly built homes will not be able to have any lawns whatsoever. Residents who still have lawns have to follow watering restrictions. And here's one that everybody loves. They have a water police that come out and patrol the streets. They even have their own cars, blue and white cars that are marked on the side. And, you know, the LAPD, for example, uh, to protect and serve. And you have uh, those, um, those symbols on, uh, on the cars. They have one, too. And it reads, don't waste water, it's the law. They're just about to pass a law that said uh, your first violation, you get a written warning. Your second violation, you get a fine. Your third violation is 25 years to life. No, I read that wrong. Uh, That's not true. Uh, But the fines increase like crazy. And so the water authorities have really targeted outdoor watering. This is where most of the water is used. About 40% of the water is used indoors in the Las Vegas area, southern Nevada. 60% is used outdoors. Wastewater is treated and released back into Lake Mead to be reused. Las Vegas uh, water managers have sought to plan for extreme uh, scenarios for decades. Uh, Here's the other thing I want to share with you. And this I didn't know until I started looking into the story. You've heard me talk about dead pools. When the water level of the lake where water is derived from drops below its ability for the intake pumps to get the water and then move them down to the hydroelectric plants, uh, also supplying water to nearby communities or communities hundreds of miles away. What uh, the Southern Nevada Water Authority did is they built a third water intake at the bottom of Lake Mead. They spent about a billion and a half dollars. So Lake Mead is not going to become a dead pool because the intake is at the bottom of Lake Mead. So it could go down and down. And as long as there's water above the bottom, there's going to be water taken from Lake Mead. The other reservoirs, not a chance. Lake Powell, the second biggest reservoir in the country, doesn't have it. Oroville, which is uh, one of the biggest ones in California, doesn't have it. So you're looking at Lake Mead being an outlier, and it's all because of the Southern Nevada Water Authority, Las Vegas, and uh, we have to really pay attention to this. Matter of fact, all over the world, you've got water authorities are paying attention to Las Vegas. The four-day school week is gaining popularity across the country. Not in California, not even a little bit. And why is that? Well, there's a couple of good reasons why that's not happening. First of all, the law doesn't allow it to happen. That's a starter. Also, the science out there, the research out there, holds that it just doesn't work as well. Kids just don't do as well with a four-day work week, a four-day school week. And you think they would. And you think absenteeism would drop. It does not. The schools, simply those kids and a four-day week do 
uh, have lower scores in math and English, and there are only two school districts in the entire state that allow a four-day week. Uh, one of them is Leggett Valley School, 75 students. Uh, the other one is uh, the Whale Gulch School, uh, shortened week. These are districts. I didn't even know there were districts that had 75 people in them. Well, though, and it's 45 miles from the nearest uh, town. So it's uh, this little town uh, has one post office. Uh, it has one general store, and that's it. And it's the Wild West. It has a sheriff who walks around with a gun, and he looks uh, like a cowboy. And the reason they do that is because the distances and people have to go to the doctor. It's an hour and a half drive. And so it makes sense when you have these tiny little schools. But when it comes to uh, any kind of a major schedule or major district, uh, it just isn't happening. Even though it's greater flexibility, even though you've got school districts that are saying, you know what, it's worth trying. Oh, teachers don't work four days. Teachers work five days, but they have more flexibility. They have time to grade papers. Some uh, teach remedial classes. So the bottom line, fewer hours means lower grades, and that's across the country. You look at school districts that have more hours than others. Those kids simply do better. You know why Korean kids always score through the roof when it comes to math and science compared to us? Because those kids go to school for insane hours. It just makes sense when you think about it. Kids are in school. Uh, now, to go to school for all those hours uh, kills you. Uh, and it's different in every state, too. Some states uh, allow longer hours, mandate longer hours. Some states cut the hours. but and, and cutting hours saves money, too, because you don't have to run the air conditioning uh, you don't have to have as many employees. Uh, school, uh, you're you're paying people less. Uh, janitors don't work as many hours. Uh, school uh, security offers don't work. It's actually cheaper. Does it work? Doesn't seem to be. Four-day work week is really being considered by a whole lot of companies. Actually, it's a study coming out of Iceland and uh, in Maryland, uh, the General Assembly, uh, the state legislature, just gave the green light uh, to a bill that creates a pilot program offering incentives to programs to cut the work week from 40 to 32 hours without reducing salaries. Now, when you think of a four-day work week, I think of a four-day work week as 10 hours a day. And you get a three-day three-day weekend, which is kind of neat. I know that cuts down on absenteeism. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Friday off. You have Friday off anyway. So we don't have to worry. I have, you should see around here. It is, a, you can put a bowling ball through any part of the sales department. No one comes in on Monday. There's one guy who comes in, a friend of mine named Bill, who is there uh, every day. He's the only one. Oh, a couple of other people are here today. But uh, people just don't come in on Mondays or Fridays. Now, theoretically, they work at home. So is it fair to say it's a three-day work week? Okay, maybe I'm not being fair uh, because people do work at home. And there are three-day work weeks that actually make sense. Uh, 
some police forces, 12-hour days, three days a week. Boy, there's no absenteeism there. I think some uh, nursing organizations, some hospitals, allow 12-hour shifts for nurses uh, three days a week. Then you get a four-hour work week. And those are 36 hours. Firemen, you know, they work 24-hour shifts. They work three days or two days, uh, 24 hours. They sleep uh, at the uh, fire station and, you know, available 24 hours a day, of course. And it's one week on and two weeks off, and uh, that seems to work for fire people. How about the rest of us? Does it make a lot of sense? Well, especially when you're working a 32-hour week. So you would think that the productivity would go down because you're not there for 40 hours. Uh, you would think that, uh, that people would uh, be happier. Of course they would be. And you know what the studies show? That the productivity actually goes up. You cut the hours by eight hours a day to 32 hours and productivity goes up. And uh, there are companies in several European countries that have tried it, and it seems to work. Iceland actually led the way. They started two years ago. And then you have companies in Belgium and in the United Kingdom have uh, participated in pilot programs, the four-day week global program. Uh, four-day week global is an advocacy group based in New Zealand that are really pushing for shorter week work weeks. On the basis of two uh, reasons. One, productivity actually increases. And when you talk about a four-day weekend, uh, I tell you, that's not bad at all. Or a three-day weekend. A California bill that would require companies with 500 or more employees to pay overtime to employees who worked over 32 hours uh, didn't quite work last year. You think the business organizations uh, stopped that? The chambers of Congress uh, did this, or the uh, 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 the business chambers? Now, when was the last time the work week was adjusted in the United States? What would you guess? 1940. The Fair Labor Standards Act, and that was passed in 1938, set the minimum work week at 44 hours. And, and two years later, it became 40 hours. 1956. Let's just move forward a couple of minutes, okay? Uh, there was a re-election campaign stop. Uh, this was during the Dwight Eisenhower uh, years. During a campaign stop for re-election, because Dwight Eisenhower, as you know, uh, was re-elected, then the vice president of the United States, Richard Nixon, predicted that a four-day work week was in the not-too-distant future. Uh, he was wrong. If you go to France, France is the world leader in people not working. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, they have a one-day work week at five hours. Did you know that? And don't forget a three-hour lunch break, too. And they're crazy over there. Once you, It's hard to get a job in France because once you hire someone, you can't fire someone. I mean, the rules, the laws are completely crazy. But they seem to do okay. The French productivity level seems to do okay. 
What ends up happening with a shorter work week, and I'm just thinking, having talked to people who do work a shorter week, particularly I've talked to nurses and I've talked to police officers who work a a 36-hour week, 12 hours a day for three days. And they are thrilled with it. And my question to them always is, don't you get a little tired? Hour number 10 and 11 before the end of the shift. And they say, no, we can do it. We can do it. It's just a question of a mindset, knowing there is uh, going to be a four-day weekend, feeling refreshed, feeling ready to go. You know, the thought of a four-day work week, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now, think of um, the other side of the coin in the United States. When is the last time you talked to a tech company or looked at a tech tech company where uh, the employee, the average employee, worked 40 hours? There is a reason that tech companies start people at North. We're talking about uh, not the janitors, uh, not the people that work in the office. We're talking about the tech folks themselves. There's a reason that they give free food in the cafeteria, all the snacks you can possibly have, ping pong tables, uh, chairs uh, that vibrate, because nobody, but nobody works 40 hours a week. Now, I haven't seen any studies about the productivity level. Same thing. You come out of law school, and I know some people that, uh, you know what, if you come out of a high-end law school, for example, you know what the average wage is the first year coming out? $160,000, a year. I mean, when you look at that kind of money, just, I mean, first-year law student coming out and getting a job. What they don't mention is you're effectively getting minimum wage because you're working that many hours. But is the four-day work week coming? I think it is. Because if you look at the benefits, you look at the productivity, you look at the happiness of people. Yeah, that makes sense. We're going there. So Richard Nixon, I think, was right in 1956 that it's going to happen in the near future. Coming up, Gary and Shannon... And so you don't want to miss that. There's plenty to cover. Handel and the morning crew. This is KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.